Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Sports Drink and our good friends at Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is a really, really cool, innovative way to keep in line with your favorite shows, breaking news, other fans across the globe, whatever. Without having to show your face, you know, some of us have radio voices, as you've heard people say. Well, don't worry about that if you just download the Spotify Green Room app, formerly Locker Room. It is an audio-only platform where you can get in touch with the favorite fans or any fans there of all of your favorite teams, joining across different rooms and boards to listen all across the land to everything that you want to go and feel a part of your favorite shows, whether it's breaking news, whether that's former players, I don't know. There's all sorts of things you can do on Spotify Greenroom. All you got to do is download the app on iOS or Android. It is free. Link to your Twitter or follow along with your favorite hosts and shows and enjoy. Feel like you're part of the action with Spotify Greenroom. It's changing the name of the game. So we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for today's episode because for, it doesn't happen very often where we kind of feel like we don't have a whole ton to talk about. So we decided we're going to do a mailbag episode today. Always fun for us to do. You guys really threw out some great questions. We're going to get to those. Uh, but before we do, don't want to just jump right into there. We do feel like we are contractu- contractually obligated to actually act like we're professionals here and do a little bit of work before we get to the mailbag stuff that you guys threw out. So, um, Doc, you are on, you're yes. about to head to... One of the greatest places in the United States, weather-wise. Uh, and I'm pretty jealous of you, actually, going to San Diego, uh, which we all know what that stands for in Spanish. Um, but how are you feeling? Since since you're actually leaving on Thursday, we had to do this episode on Tuesday. 
to get this done and get this out of here. Not our typical, not our typical recording day if we even have a typical recording day, but it does feel a little bit strange to me to do it on a Tuesday. Yeah, we uh, we we kind of have to do the uh, Thursday then Tuesday thing uh, more often than uh, more than often than I like that we have to because uh, it's kind of uneven. Uh, as the older we get, the more complicated the schedules get, the harder it is to have like the uh, the designated recording day. But you know, um, I'm excited for my trip. And I'm excited that the uh, Braves will be playing on the West Coast while I'm out there. Unfortunately, it doesn't line up with uh, me getting uh, to see the Braves play while they're out there. But at least I'll actually get to get to see the games uh, while I'm not at the wedding. My my niece is getting married, and I remember her when she was this big, which is very strange for me. So I feel pretty decent about the team right now. Actually, you know what? Let me take that back. I can't tell whether I feel <laughs> decent about the Braves or I feel decent about the fact that the Phillies can't really do anything. So not to say that we are unthreatened. You know, we've picked up three games in the standing since we recorded five days ago because, you know, we're playing crappy teams again, and we're beating them, which is what we're supposed to do. And the Phillies are playing crappy teams too, but they just can't seem to string together any real momentum. So like, it's, it's not that we're unthreatened, it's just... Magic number right now is 16. You still got 20 games left in the season. Um, And right now, we're about to face a Colorado team who we saw not that long ago. We split with them, but that's in cores where they're really good. We will now see them outside of cores where they're not really good. And uh, as long as we continue to take care of business right now, then like everybody's saying in post-game interviews right now, uh, we just have to take care of our own business. And and that's really true. Um, But for right now, uh, I would like for us to just keep Keep stringing together wins while we can. This Colorado series is going to be probably easier than the Giants series. They did just clinch a, clinch a postseason berth. They haven't won the division yet, but since they still have plenty to play for for winning the winning the actual division and for home field advantage, so they will be playing their hearts out. Arizona, who comes after San Francisco, they kind of they. It's not even fair to say they've been scuffling all season. They just suck. They suck really bad. But there was a trap series, so you got to be careful with that. And then we go play the Padres, and they've been in free fall for for the last little bit. So even when you you circled this um, this little segment on the calendar several months ago, and you said, "Oh, it's going to be a really important series because after this, then it's just the Mets and uh, excuse me, the Phillies and the Mets to close out the season." So. As long as the Braves just keep kind of doing what they're doing, if they can expand out of just not having it be like the middle innings where things are fun, because we've been giving up a lot of runs at the beginning of games and a lot at the end, I think if we can kind of chip into both of those in both directions, then we'll be hoisting a fourth consecutive uh, division banner. I hope anyway. And we should point out, this is something that you and I have agreed on for for most of this season. The the Phillies, they're just not a good team. They're basically a 500 type of roster, and that's basically what they're playing at. It's about a 500 team. So I'm not that shocked that they're struggling. They're just, they're not a fantastic team. And when you're not a good team, it does kind of depend where you play at and who you're facing at the time. So all those things, I've I've still never felt that worried that the Phillies were going to beat the Braves uh, now that the Mets have cratered um, and been the typical Mets as far as injuries go. I've never been that concerned about the Braves winning this division. I always thought they were going to. This this is not surprising to me right now. Um, but you're right. I mean, you do got to close it out. You're still technically close enough for uh, one good run from the Phillies to, to take you out if you start kind of performing badly. We saw that almost happen at uh, this time last week when the, the lead had shrunk a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, Braves got to play crappy teams and built the lead back up. And the Braves don't really have any great teams left on the schedule. Um 
you know how I feel about the Giants. I don't really feel like they're they're much of anything. Uh, I think that they're kind of. I think they're. I don't want to say that they're an also ran because they were the first team to ninety wins and they've got a lot of wins on the docket this season. But I do feel like they've been super lucky uh, just with the composition of that roster to get to where they are. Um, Arizona sucks. San Diego. They haven't been playing well at all lately. They've kind of fizzled out, which is crazy considering how insane they were early on this year and the type of players that they added this year. But overall, I think the Braves are in a good position. Now, how that goes as far as playoff times go, I'm not quite sure yet. There's a lot of ways that can shake out. We're going to talk about a lot of those ways coming up in just a second. But before we do, just to remind you to download the Spotify Green Room app today on your Android or your iPhone. We don't discriminate Apple or Android. It's okay either way. We're all one love. Uh, download it today and get involved in your favorite shows. So before we get into the mailbag, one of the things that we wanted to do is talk about some of the under-the-radar prospects. Now, if you guys are following along on Twitter, you guys know a lot of the, the prospects that, that kind of get named, even the quote-unquote under-the-radar guys. Uh, but if you just tune into us or your your new listeners, first of all, thank you for tuning in. Uh, there are some prospects. While the system isn't quite as deep as we've seen you know, before, uh, what would I say, probably about three years ago when the system was, when we would all have said it was probably a top-five farm system in baseball, uh, you still have a lot of guys who have been a little bit underrated as far as prospects go, as far as prospect lists right now, that you'll see start to make some pretty big inroads. The guys that we've got listed here are guys that, at least a couple of them, that you could see make big jumps. One of them in particular. That first one is Vaughn Grissom. Now, Vaughn Grissom has pretty much been underrated from the time he got drafted. He went to the same high school as Riley Green. And whenever you're a hitter and Riley Green is also on your team, you are going to be ignored because Riley Green was one of the best prep bats I personally have ever seen as far as his swing and the way he connected and the things that he could do offensively. I think the world of Riley Green. But Von Grissom, it's been said for a while that he had all the tools. It was really just about putting it all together. And what Von Grissom is doing, granted, it's at lower levels, but he's very, very young. And what he's doing is playing beyond his years. And one of the things you look for in young hitters is how do they do recognizing the strike zone? How is their walk to strikeout rate? And Vaughn Grissom has been an excellent, excellent hitter all season long. Really doesn't chase a whole lot. Gets good barrel control. Starting to hit for some more power. He's been very, very impressive. He... He is one of the few uh, Braves prospects that you know, the, the team usually will just do a very um, it's they'll just play it station to station uh, with prospects generally. You get one year in low A, you get one year in high A. You know, if the guys that they really like a lot, they will take the time in the development pipeline. And a guy like Grissom, he was an 11th round pick. You guys will hear for anybody who's not super familiar with the Braves' recent drafts, which is probably a lot of you, then. In 2019, the Braves got really creative with the way that they, um, the way that they drafted. They pushed, uh, they they just kind of, uh, they were able to reallocate some of their draft pool funds to get some really good talents in later rounds, and that's where they got Von Grissom. They put him in Rome, excuse me, they put him in Augusta, which is Low A, uh, and he hit 311, 402, 446, and his strikeout rate was only 14.9 percent, and his walk rate was above 10. Five home runs in. Uh, 75 games, 13 steals. You know, he's one of those guys that they they were kind of working on putting some loft in his swing, and you really started to see as the season went along the, that he was hitting a lot more extra base hits. He was uh, hitting for a lot more power. So he actually 
was able to buck the trend, and he got promoted to Rome, which used to be low A and is now high A. And it's only been nine games. It's been 40 plate appearances, so we're not getting too carried away here. But he is hitting 414, 550, 690 with a two, 222 WRC+. Plus. Uh, his walk rate is 25%. His strikeout is 7.5%. Uh, he is one, because he's not... He was on Riley Green's team. There were a lot of eyes on him, but he was never necessarily one of these super, super highly touted prospects. He was kind of a project guy. And say what you what you will about the Braves, and I know that now that we've come out of the rebuild, and you know a lot of the guys that were um, that were deeper on those prospect lists actually wound up kind of becoming somebody in some capacity. Um, you don't hear people complaining about it nearly as much but with, with prospect guys, but this team has really, really strong development. Uh, and somebody like Grissom is just a great example of someone who has just been able to learn and improve at every single level. And the guy's only 20 years old. He, he was probably top 20 coming into the season. He was top 10 at midseason. And if he keeps up what he's doing, I don't think it would be out of the question to have him as top five sometime in the next calendar year. And I think one of the things that, that Grissom kind of shows you is that it's not the prospect prospect growth is not linear and not everybody is, is, is comparable on the same scale. Cause if you looked at Grissom coming into the draft, would you, would you take a prep guy in the 11th round? It's not like you're saying that you think he's an 11th round talent. You're pushing him down the board because you think that you've got a fair chance to get him. But if you're taking him in the 11th round, you still think that there's, that there's something there. The 11th round generally is around anywhere from that 9 to 13 round where you're talking about prep guys. Those tend to be rounds where you still think very highly of those players. And with Vaughn, it's always been kind of a does he have a carrying tool or is he a sum of all of his parts type of player? And while I'm not certain he has an actual, like a, a plus plus tool, I don't even know if I'd say he has a plus tool. I think he's at least above average to above average just about everywhere. Now, I doubt he remains at shortstop. I'm, I'm almost certain he ends up moving to third base in the long run, but he's held up very well at short now. He's got very quick actions. He's got very quick feet and he processes very well. So who really knows? And we've kind of seen... With the way that defenses shift and move around, the, the archetype for a shortstop is having to have basically limitless range. It's kind of gone away. You see a lot of shortstops that five, six years ago, ten, let's just say 10 years ago, because I'm getting older now and the years don't work well. But about 10 years ago, probably would have been guys that you would have just assumed would have gone to third base. Guys like Corey Seager, guys like Carlos Correa, guys like that. Guys who you would traditionally look at and think, oh, that's a third baseman. Well, you're starting to see them stick at shortstop now. Uh, the added... The, the thought process for me, anyway, being that giving them a little bit of extra, giving them that, that time to react, so you have more reaction time at shortstop than third, actually can still help them, even if they're quote-unquote a little bit too big or not quite as rangy. As long as they've got the, the, the quick enough feet and their arm is good enough and their arm is pretty quick, then you're pretty good to go. So I've loved what I've seen from Vaughn Grissom. Definitely a name that you want to circle, uh, highlight circle and sharpie, whatever. Just make sure you remember that name. Uh, if he keeps going at this rate, I won't be shocked to see him in Gwinnett. Um, may I would say not next year, but the year after that, I think you'll see him in Gwinnett. I think they might go kind of slow with him just for the simple fact that they're not really going to have a spot per se for him. So there's no real need to rush him along the way. But the other ones, a couple other ones we want to talk about. We've talked about Indigo Diaz a few times on this show. Diaz is a guy that I thought for sure would be in Gwinnett already. Uh, there's really no need for him to be in double A other than they're just going slowly with him. He finally allowed his first earned run at double A. Uh, last week, I want to say, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was Saturday or Sunday, but, but not, not too long ago. It was the first earned run he'd allowed. 
Uh, he's just been absolutely incredible, still striking out nearly everybody. The walks have climbed up a little bit, and that'll happen once you start facing hitters that aren't going to swing at all of your breaking pitches. But Indigo Diaz is a name that I feel quite confident in saying, I, I think you could put him on the big league roster right now, and I think he'd still be able to get guys out. He's got that kind of stuff coming off of that kind of body. He's a big dude. Uh, he's definitely one. It's, it's kind of rare to see reliever-only prospects get ranked inside the top 20. I would be hard-pressed to put Indigo Diaz outside of the top 15. I think the last big-name reliever to find himself in any type of meaningful uh, prospect ranking for the Braves was A.J. Minter, uh, and he was uh, he was very highly touted, uh, Minter was. And you're, you're seeing Diaz kind of right around that, that same spot. Uh, this year, ever since going to Mississippi, his ERA is .53, and like you said, the that run came very recently. The FIP is 1.93. And he actually kind of inverted that when he was still at Rome. His ERA was one, and his FIP was below one. He he had 18 percent, excuse me, 18 strikeouts per nine innings. That's two strikeouts per inning for this guy, and he's got really reasonable walk rates uh, when he was still at Rome. Like you said, the better the better hitters that he sees, it's going to be a little bit harder for him to keep stringing that together. When you look at some of the some of the outings from guys like Josh Tomlin and some of the some of the other performances out of the bullpen, particularly early in the year. I mean, I think you could have legit. I think you're right. I think you could put Indigo Diaz in the bullpen. He would have fared just as good as anybody. I mean, this this guy is a flamethrower, strike thrower. He's got an attitude, and he's built. I mean, he's six five, two fifty. You know, this is a broad man. So he's, he's somebody that you. Don't, he's that type of guy you look at and you think that he looks like a closer. He's a flamethrower, big bodied guy. Mm-hmm. He's that guy that's that you feel gives you a little bit of that intimidation factor. I'm a big fan of Indigo Diaz. I think we'll see him on the big league roster next year. I really, I won't be shocked if he makes the club out of spring training, depending on what they do in the off season. It's it's really not that far fetched, you know. It, it, some sometimes you just get a guy, and he's on he's on that really good track. He hasn't struggled at any level. Um, it almost kind of gives you pause a little bit because of the fact that he hasn't struggled at any level. You got to ask yourself: Is it just around the corner, or is he really that good? Sometimes, luckily with him, I think that he really is that good. And that could be part of the reason why he's been slow walked a little bit because he has not struggled at all. And sometimes that could be kind of a sign of saying, "Well, he's going to struggle at some point." Do you want him to struggle at the lower levels and figure out there, or do you want him to to really just keep him going until he gets somewhere where people can beat him and try to figure it out at that level? I think that there's there's pluses and minuses to both sides. That it's a lot easier to adjust and to make adjustments when you're facing lower level hitters. Sometimes you don't really know if those things take until you get up to the upper end. But it's good for a young man's psyche if he's able to adjust very quickly and have instant results on those uh, adjustments, which is why you'll generally see. Uh, when hitters need to make adjustments, they get sent down. Or if somebody's not playing well, uh, rather than just going right to AAA sometimes, sometimes they'll even go down a little bit farther than that, or they'll get their, like, a lot of these phantom ILs, these, okay, you're not playing well, so we're just going to say it's your shoulder. You'll see them go, oh, well, you know, he's got a, we're, we're going to have him for three or four games in uh, low A or, or Rome, and we'll then we'll move him up aggressively when he's ready to move up. It seems like you'll always want to get a guy reps against against more inexperienced or less talented players when you're trying to make adjustments, which makes perfect sense. But I think Indigo's a fantastic arm. I think one of those guys that um, – I don't know that he's ever going to get the fanfare until he's at the big league level. And I don't even know if the Braves consider him as to be like a back end of the bullpen guy or if they think of him as more you know that eventual seventh inning type of guy. The Braves are going to have a lot of competition for, for the, the back end of the bullpen sort of, of – area when you get a lot of these starters that kind of matriculate to the bullpen they've got some guys that you look at and think those are real competitions for for closer 
quote-unquote status. Because don't forget about William Woods and what we saw from him, Victor Vodnik, who you and I are both pretty confident is going to be a bullpen guy. There, there's a few of those guys in the system kind of floating around. A um, couple of them Brooks Wilson. Now, you might not have heard of Brooks Wilson. He doesn't get a lot of fanfare. But he has been excellent all season long. Really... Another flamethrower, a high, high strikeout guy. Just got called up to Gwinnett. He's got some pretty awesome hair. He's got the Thor hair going for you, if that does anything for you. Um, but he's another one. Definitely keep your eye on. He's one that if you get a lot of struggles in the bullpen uh, and you're trying to set up your postseason, I don't think you're going to see rookie guys get put onto the postseason roster. Um, but if you are, Brooks Wilson's a guy that I think that you could possibly see uh, for the simple fact of, again, doesn't walk a ton of guys for what he gives you. Really high strikeout guy. Doesn't seem to have problems throwing strikes. Uh, I don't think he would be like the first name on the list, but he's another one, kind of like Indigo Diaz, where I think that he could get big league hitters out right now. I don't think he'd be faring much differently at the big league level versus what he's doing in the minor leagues. When you look back at Wilson's stat line over the past couple of years, I mean, we're talking ever since the Braves drafted him. He's just gone uh, out there and 20... dominated. Yeah, like his ERA over the past couple of years is 226. The FIP is under 3. The walk rate is under three as well. Now, the strikeout rate is 9.68 uh, per nine, which is good. But ever since he came up to double A uh, this year, 33 games, 44 innings, 14.93 strikeouts per nine. So he has figured something out. And not only that, but he did it at the level that historically players struggled the most. Like the biggest step that players have to take is going from triple A to major league. The second biggest that they have to make is going from high A to double A. So the fact that he was able to do that, he's facing much better hitters. And then he is just like his walks went up ever so slightly, but his strikeouts doubled. You can endure that. And this is a guy that's got a, a long track record. His, uh, his whip with the organization is 1.15. And I don't know what the Braves situation is going to be uh, financially next year. The fact that they've, you know, they gave Charlie his extension, the fact that they gave Darno his extension, they're still going to be paying Ozuna. Um, they're going to be, it's looking like they are going to have some money to spend. We'll, we'll just put it that way. But how they choose to allocate it, you never know. They could opt us to, uh, extend Riley Dansby. Uh, they could look to extend Max Freed. They could look to do any number of things. And if they wind up kind of skimping on the bullpen of every year it seems it does seem with the exception of of 2020 every year in recent memory it has seemed like they kind of skirted around developing a really strong bullpen at the beginning of the year they dealt with it and then at the trade deadline they upgrade I don't know why they have chosen to do it that way but if they are had facing any type of financial troubles or or they they have allocated x amount of the payroll to everything but the bullpen, you look at guys like Brooks Wilson. You look at guys like Indigo Diaz and say, this guy, can not only can he plug a hole, but he can do it for half a million dollars as opposed to this guy over here who's asking for $11 million. And relievers so, are fickle beasts anyway. That's why I think you don't see them go out there with the exception of spending a bunch of money on Will Smith. I think that's why you haven't seen them go out there and, and shell out big money for relievers because relievers have some of the highest variable rates in baseball. It, it, it can be one guy can pitch amazing here, can come over here and, and completely crap the bed. It, it's Relievers are a weird breed, man. They're a different type of beast when you're trying to figure out who to pay and who not to pay. So I think that's certainly uh, I think that that's certainly one reason. Plus, you know, you have all of these starters that you're throwing. A lot of guys are not going to remain starters anyway. They're either going to be traded to other teams or going to have to go into the bullpen out of just a lack of space and a lack of, of, of the ability to, of options to stay in the minors. Like, if, if 
let's just throw this out there. If Kyle Muller is not in the starting rotation at 26-27, they're not going to have him in Gwinnett at 26-27 when he could be a, a big part of a bullpen too. He would move to the bullpen, which would bump out somebody else in the bullpen. So if you go out there and you start spending too much, then you start kind of being reticent about moving some of these guys to the pin when you need them there. And I think that's one of the reasons for it. Now, sometimes you'll have the, the other scenario where Waskar Noah, who you all think is going to be in the bullpen, comes out there and all of a sudden he's a starter now. Sometimes you'll have that aspect happen, uh, but that's a lot more rare than the other end. Uh, so I, I, I can certainly understand that philosophy. I think that that's a pretty pretty solid philosophy to to go with when you're talking about relievers it doesn't pay to spend high money on relievers because they can be great one year and awful the next we've seen it happen time and time again but one other guy we, we want to talk about before we get to the mailbag we i don't know if we've really ever talked about him on the show we've mentioned him a few times but never really gone in depth uh bryce elder and Elder is one of these guys that when the Braves drafted him out of Texas, the thought was, okay, he's a guy that throws strikes, but he doesn't really have much upside. Honestly, it sounded like Nolan Kingham, a guy that's going to go out there and it doesn't really matter who he goes against. He's going to pitch his same game plan. And he's essentially going to give you the same results no matter who he plays. Nothing really super stellar. There's, again, no real carrying tool there. Just goes out there and performs against basically everybody. And we were talking in pre-show, and it reminds us of another person with almost exactly the same name. And that person would be Bryce Wilson. Uh, Elder's one of these guys that just kind of goes along there. And he throws a lot of strikes. He challenges hitters. Um, he's got decent stuff. It's not always the best out there. But he, he tends to do a pretty solid job uh, of mixing in his breaking stuff. I wouldn't say that he's got a plus breaker at all. But again, it's, it's the 50s across the board. 50s to 55s. Has pretty good command. Has a nice uh, nice workman's type of body. He's able to throw a lot of pitches. Doesn't ever really seem like he's throwing super max effort. Uh, just a, a guy that you feel confident can throw strikes. And he's another one of these guys that I'm actually kind of wondering now if he started to kind of jump a lot of these other other pitchers on the roster. Uh, and, and maybe he's kind of jumped in front of some of these more higher upside guys. I don't know if I'd say he's jumped in front more than I would say the Braves are confident that he can move quickly because maybe he doesn't have the same type of oomph behind him as say like Jared Schuster even uh or, or Spencer Strider uh or, or anybody like that you just know that Bryce is going to be able to handle wherever you throw him and that's very very reminiscent of Bryce Wilson who had almost the same exact type of of rise through the system with other more high upside pitchers behind him and to to be clear this is what we thought Bryce Wilson was going to be not what Bryce Wilson actually became. You know, he he was Bryce Wilson outpaced that entire class. We we've we've chronicled that multiple times on the show. And if Bryce Elder becomes anything, or if Spencer Strider or Jesse Franklin or Jared Schuster, those are the four guys the Braves took in the 2020 draft, if any of those guys becomes anything it is such a testament to this scouting department because they were making determinations based on four games in 2020 and just kind of whatever else they were able to glean. You had to look at, you had to be really granular looking at someone's progress from year over year. I mean, it's not like somebody just shows up, watches three innings of Jared Schuster and was like, Oh, it'd be cool to give that guy a couple million dollars. Let's do it. I mean, they're, they're tracking these guys from high school, you know, but that year was so weird. Recruiting just got completely turned around. And you had to really look at a very small sample size and say, I saw enough to to not only give this guy a lot of money, but to not give some other guy a lot, who might be better a lot of money. So 
somebody like Strider really stood up, and it was very loud. Strider's uh, performance was very loud earlier in the season, partially because he was overmatched, or excuse me, because everybody else is overmatched. He, he should have probably started the season in high A. But with Elder, he just went out and he did his job. He was that fifth-round pick, and... You know, they went over slot to get him, and he was good when he was at Texas, but it, it was never it was never the flashy. It was never 16 strikeouts per nine. It was, it was never sub one per nine walk rate, you know? He's just somebody that no matter what, he shows up, he does the job, he's going to, like, he's going to give you a quality start every single time. It will be exactly six innings and three runs every single time, but he'll strike out nine. He won't walk anybody. He'll keep you in the game every time. So... Somebody like Elder, you know, there's a bajillion pitchers in this system, and a lot of them are really good, but he just keeps ascending, and I, I figured that he would wind up in Gwinnett to end the season, but I wasn't expecting him to get there as fast as he did, and I wasn't expecting him to just come out and perform the way he has. I mean, he's performed really, really well, so same thing, You you see some of these guys that could it work in the bullpen? Could it work as a starter? Sometimes you bring somebody up and you, you put him in the bullpen and you see what happens. Somebody like Elder, I mean, he's on the fast track. We'll see what the rotation looks like next year. It's too too early to go throw throwing around, you know, he's going to be a, a contender for the rotation or whatever. But, I mean, you will see him in a Braves uniform in some capacity. It might not, might not be in a full-time role. He might just come up, pitch an inning, and go back down to Gwinnett for a while. But very... Very interesting pick, Bryce Elder, and I love I love the fact that he just showed up and shows up and does his job. No flash, all substance. I, all substance. I do think it is fair to ask about whether he's going to have the same type of issues that Bryce Wilson faced once he got to the big league level. I think we'll see. I think we'll we'll know that answer relatively quickly. I think he's a guy that you feel confident if you just need a spot start here or there. You you got to feel pretty confident that the Elder's going to at least come in and throw strikes. He might get hit around a little bit. That's always a possibility. But he's not a guy that's going to give undue damage. He's not going to hurt himself too much as we like to hear people say. So I I I big big ups for Bryce Elder. I did not expect him to move this quickly or to move ahead of Spencer Strider. Uh, Strider has struggled a little bit at times with the with the command in Double A. Again, not that shocking. Uh, it, it would have been shocking if he didn't face some sort of struggles at some point. If he just kept going out and striking out 20 per nine, that would have been more shocking than if he didn't struggle at all. So uh, big ups to Bryce Elders. Had a fantastic debut, along with some of the other draft picks. Ryan Cusick has been very good this year, too. We could have included him on this list. Uh, also, um, uh, our, our boy from Florida. We've had a few of these guys lately that have kind of popped up and started performing really, really well. Freddie Tarnock is another one that has, has quietly been – uh, a complete 180 from from what he had been coming into the season. So a lot of the bright, a lot of the minor leaguers for the Braves, a lot of bright spots that aren't quite getting the publicity of some of the other flashier guys in the minor leagues across the across the landscape. But a lot of the Braves guys you should feel very confident about. So uh, that's going to do it for that. We're going to get to the mailbag now because uh, we were pretty we were, we were dead determined to get this out of here uh, within 30 minutes. That's not going to happen because we're going to answer all of your questions here. So starting off with a good buddy of the show, Jeremy Timmerman. If you could only add one player from this year's free agent class who is not a 2021 Brave, who would it be? I think I know what your answer is going to be. If, it, if it's who you and I have spoken about recently, uh, then I'm not going to steal that answer. Uh, I'm going to say Robbie Ray, uh, just because, I mean, Ray looked like somebody that was on the verge of unlocking something for years when he was with Arizona. And then 2020 happened, and he was God awful. He was so terrible. And then he went to Toronto 
And now he's like in contention for Cy Young. You know, he he is just, he's done a full 180. He's really cleaned up the walks a lot, especially from 2020. But even in his, uh, his pre-2020 days, he still would walk too many guys. He has just really figured something out. Toronto had him this year for one year and $8 million. He will not be that cheap next year. But because of the rotation questions, yeah, the Braves are almost to the point where they're going to have to kind of imitate the Dodgers a little bit. They got Charlie. They're going to have Max. They're going to have Waskar. We'll see about Ian. Just Not to say that I think that anything's going to happen with him, but I th- he he was able to strike some guys out the other day, and that's actually notable that's right now. That's very notable. So, I was getting very nervous. Yeah, me too. So uh, having a guy like Ray in there, once again, you're making everybody earn it. And look, I love Tuki Toussaint. I love him, but I just don't know if he's got it to make in, in the rotation. I really, really was inspired by what I saw from Kyle Muller, but you just don't know. You've seen a bunch of really good prospects come up and be okay, but then only be okay. We were literally just talking about Bryce Wilson. So really good example. Um, so for me, go and get somebody, a pitcher like Robbie Ray. So now I have to know, Dylan, who's yours? Is it who I think I it know is? you're probably thinking I'm going to say Noah Syndergaard. And that's a very, yeah, that's who that's I thought a it was. very good one. And I, I, I think that the Braves should definitely target Noah Syndergaard. But I think if you're telling me if I could pick any free agent to have, I think I might go Marcus Simeon. You know, I debated uh, Simeon or somebody like Correa, but then you look at what this infield is doing, and we do have a question about Dansby on here. So, uh, you know, if you if you feel comfortable doing a little shakeup on on a historic infield, then you know Simeon Simeon or Correa would be a really now, good. Now, let me at least give my my. Now, this isn't just because I'm saying oh they should just get rid of Dansby. Uh, it's, oh, of course. It's not. also because Marcus Simeon is like. I think he's third among all position players in F4 over the last three seasons. 2019, he posted a 7.6 F4. Last year was 1.2 in a shortened season. Not a great season for him, offensively speaking, 92 WRC+. plus. But aside from that, he's had that sandwich between 138 and this season at 135 WRC+, plus, good for 6.2 F4. He's actually played good defense this year, too, according to Fangraphs. Now, you can take OAA and you can shove it where the, shun, where the sun don't shine. OAA is awful when you're looking at the amount that people are shifting right now. It's been all over the board all year. But he's a guy with just huge power. And if you think that the power is a product of Toronto, he dropped 33 bombs playing in Oakland. That is a hard place to hit for power if your name is not Matt Olson and everything you hit is meant to go 500 feet. Samian is not that guy. He's not even listed at 200 pounds. He's just gone out there and done a very good job. Now, he's not going to be cheap. I know he's a little bit older. He's going to be 31. But he is a guy that's just gone out there and, and just dominated two out of the last three years. And you can play him all over the infield. He gives you big-time power. He's got double-digit steals. Uh, doesn't really strike out a ton for his level of production. Just goes out there and does great work. I mean, if you're looking at his stat line, it's 269, 340, 542 with a 371 Waba. So oh, he's outperforming his Waba. Well, yeah, but he's kind of done that almost literally every season of his career. He's outperformed his ex Waba. So uh, very, very good player. He's a guy that I, I could have said Correa too. I actually just think Semyon might be might be the key guy in this class who gets criminally underrated uh, in terms of how people view him. Like I said, like I, be- I believe it, I saw that it's either number one or number three in F4 over the past three seasons. I think it's number three. Uh, but just been phenomenal the last three years. Uh, and our good buddy Dren asks this question. 
What will the 2022 outfield be when Ronald Acuna is back as he tweets from atop his unicycle? First of all, that's impressive in and of itself to be able to tweet while on your unicycle. So congrats there. Uh, I sincerely hope he has a handlebar. I sincerely hope he has one of those swashbuckler type mustaches while he's on the unicycle. You almost have to have it. That old school strongman type curled up mustache. Dren, you were the most individual, unique person. And I would also like to say, before we address the outfield question, uh, everybody knows about the Acuna design that he did for the that uh, that Rotoware picked up. I mean, I was I went to the Braves game on Saturday night, and I wore my Acuna shirt, and everybody that walked by was like, "Oh my god, that is the coolest thing!" And they were right; that is the coolest design. But I also just received my Dren playing cards in the mail, and the level of detail that went into it is the coolest thing. It the best. The best merchandise creator in Braves country. I'm saying it. I just uh, the best. I don't know if he's doing a uh, another uh, pressing of the cards, but uh, if he is, then uh, make sure that you buy some. And uh, if you don't have your Acuna shirt from RotoWare yet, go buy it. Uh, he he deserves the uh, he deserves the kick down there. Anyway, to the point. So I found it interesting that neither of us chose uh, chose an outfielder for um, for the Braves for 2022. And I think that when you look at Whoever's on the team now, I mean, I think there's a really good possibility Duvall comes back. Uh, I would assume with the DH in 2022 that it's almost 110% that Jorge Soler comes back. Um, so, for me, Ronald Acuna, when he gets back, which I think is going to be like June, because I do not think they there's even part of them that is going to pretend they're going to rush this. I think it's going to be Duvall, Pache. Because I get it, Christian Pache had a negative seven WRC plus in in the yeah, year twenty twenty one. Yeah, take a look at what he's been take yeah. a look at what he's been doing in Gwinnett before you before you start just mouthing off. He has yeah. been crushing the ball. He really has, and you know some sometimes you know Ozzy didn't go back down when he got called up. Ronald didn't go down when he got called back up. Mike Trout got sent back down after he got called back up. So sometimes and let's even be real honest, if the Braves had anybody to play second, Ozzy would have got sent back down at points too because Ozzy struggled for a bit when he got called up. Ozzy did not come up and instantly become this Ozzy Albies. Right. It w- it wasn't until twenty twenty excuse me twenty eighteen that he that he really kind of stepped into that. Uh, that was when he proved that the power stuff wasn't just a mirage. But okay, so I'm looking at uh, Acuna Pache Duval when. Um, after Ronald gets back, but before that, I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't see them bringing Jock back, partially because I don't think Jock is really pleased with the way he's being used. Yep. Um, beyond that, I would assume that there will be some, some kind of filler placeholder type. Because I mean, don't. There's no reason to get a twenty dollar appetizer when you got a seventy dollar entree coming, unless you're at one of those restaurants, and we're not one of those types of restaurants. So you're not gonna go out and you're not gonna get some massive. You know, you're not going to pay $20 million for an outfielder to come in and play for two months if you don't think you're going to have a really good spot for him. Uh, you know, and it's also entirely possible they just roll with Soler uh, in the Acuna spot until uh, until he gets back, and then they just kind of mix and match. If they if they feel like uh, they want to carry three catchers, have like a Darno Contreras fill in the blank, then you could have Contreras DHing on days where Soler is playing the field or vice versa, Some, something along those lines for me. Uh, what do you think, Dylan? So I'm actually not going to be shocked if Ronald ends up back near opening day. Like, he may be back in May, 
Uh, I think he might be, he's a superhuman, so he might just heal faster than the rest of us. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if the Braves hold him out longer as well, particularly if they feel like they can get through without having to have him. I think if they feel they can be competitive and let him get back to full, full strength, I think, obviously, they'd probably do that. I think they wish they had done that with Mike Soroka. I think that they rushed Soroka back, and that contributed to the second Achilles injury. I think there was no there was no actual explanation as to why he should have been pitching in spring training. And I think that that's probably something they'll bear in mind when you're talking about Ronald Acuna, and you're talking about the actual future of your franchise. Um, but I'm just going to talk about... I'm going to manifest this until it happens. So, Doc, you're not going to be surprised. I am going to say, I, I agree with you. I think Adam Duvall is definitely coming back. So I'd say, assuming that the DH is in play, Jorge Soler is definitely one. Uh, I'm not going to rule out he who should not be named because it is a business. I know, I know. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to give that any legs, but I do want all of you out there to realize that that is a very distinct possibility that the Braves are not just going to eat that money. I personally, I think they'll find somebody to trade and, and take. I think like the Dodgers are a team that you should probably look at um, across the country. The Dodgers have obviously felt about dealing with PR hits like that with guys like Julio Arias on the team. I the, they were trying to deal Andy Pages, and if you could get Andy Pages for Marcelo Zuna, then I do that straight up. Um, you'd probably have to include a prospect though. But either way, uh, I'm not going to put Ozuna on here just because. So just just I think you'll see Solaire if there's a DH. Solaire is an easy bring back. Not going to be super expensive. Perfect profile type of hitter. Great fit in this lineup, especially if you bring Fred, when Freddie comes back, you can leave Solaire right in front of Freddie, or you can put Solaire right behind Austin in front of Dansby, or, or whatever. You can play around with wherever you think Solaire is going to see fastballs consistently. That's where you put in the lineup. Makes this a big, big time power guy. Played better in the field than a lot of people expected, and myself included. Uh, so I think Solaire's an easy bring back. Duvall as well. Uh, you and I both mentioned at the start of this year, we weren't that shocked or that upset that they didn't bring him back. Again, I wouldn't feel super upset if they felt they upgraded from him, but at this point, you want to keep him on the team. Um, he obviously does great things when he's wearing a Braves uniform, dominates uh, dominates Truist. So uh, I, I think you'll see Duval back. Again, won't be super expensive. Uh, and he's a guy that you can either platoon or transition to the bench in the event that you supremely upgrade. Ronald in right field. Until that point, um, probably, I don't know, maybe Eddie Rosario again. But my key piece, I and this is not going to be who all of you out there are thinking of, not Christian Pache, Brian Reynolds. And I'm just going to manifest this until it happens. Brian Reynolds in center field. I knew that Reynolds was having a good season. I didn't quite realize he was having like a four and a half, almost five war season. Uh, man, switch hitting true center fielder with four tools. Mm, man, he's going to cost. And Pittsburgh, look, Pittsburgh. <laughs> 140 WRC plus for him on the air. He is, God, what he an is, animal. For all intents and purposes, he's got a 300, 400, 500 season going. Right. I mean, that that's the type of line you expect out of Freddie every year. And to have somebody that's out there that, I mean, look, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's awful. And, and I, I understand the why, they wouldn't, why they wouldn't want to trade him. But it's when, what have the Royals gained by not trading Whit Merrifield? You Dude, know? Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Here's what I'm thinking of. He's doing this with literally nobody else in that lineup. Nobody. They don't, they don't even Imagine have Josh Bell here. anymore. Yeah. Imagine him here. You can put him in between Ronald and Freddie. <laughs> that, that's that's when you were just talking about like where where do you put Solaire in the lineup? I was just like thinking, oh my god, can you imagine adding Acuna back into this and now adding Reynolds on top of that? I mean, goodness gracious, that's you want to talk ferocious. about you want to talk about going swing for swing with the Dodgers. It's a good way to do it, you know, and. 
because of the high level depth that we have now. You know, you have multiple high level outfielders. Uh, yeah, you multiple have multiple high level outfielders, pitchers, pitchers oh, catchers. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. I don't know. Just three of the most important pieces in baseball. Oh, I don't know. Oh man, we get, hey, we got this guy Bryce Elder, and we got this guy Brooks Wilson. They just got to Triple A, man. They're gonna be stars. You want them? Hey, you seen Christian Pache hose your guys out the plate because you guys keep challenging him in Triple A. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would it would cost. It would be serious, but you know, like you said, uh, there's a lot of accolades you could assign to Brian Reynolds, and uh, you know, and he kind of deserves all of them. So, like Marcus Simeon, one of the most underrated players in baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, and Simeon is gonna get paid, but it's it's more because of the on-field performance than it is just being the name. You know what I mean? Some some guys get paid just because they're the name. And some guys don't get paid because they go out and they perform, but they just don't get the recognition. And, uh, yeah. yeah, he's he's one of those guys that, uh, yeah. I, I would give up more for him than I would for just about anybody else in baseball. And I'm, I am being straight up with that. He, I think he's a superstar in the making. Um, next question from our buddy Sean Barry, who listens – Fruitfully to every single episode we do, and he has from pretty much the beginning. Thank you, Sean. What do you expect the rotation slash bullpen to look like for the playoffs? Any guys that you have your eye on to get called up for any of those spots? Now, this is what I alluded to earlier, so I'm going to go ahead and take this one to start off with, and then we'll let Doc's probably more informed opinion take over. Uh, I think rotation-wise, I think you're going to see a four-man rotation. I think you're going to see Charlie number one, Max number two, I think you'll probably see Waskar number three and Ian number four. Now, you could kind of, depending on how they finish out the season, you could flip-flop Ian uh, and, and Waskar. But I think if you're going by how the team feels about them right now, I think Waskar's in that third spot. And I think Ian would be fourth because you don't want to bring him out of the pen. And if you say that you can run with four starters, remember, it's going to be off days in between the games. It's going to be a traditional playoff. So technically, you could get by with a three-man rotation. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. So I actually think they could run matchups, uh, depending on whichever series they're in, with that with that third spot in the rotation. Ultimately, I think you'll see them settle on four, and they'll keep the, the possibility open. Um. <laughs> Sorry about that. All good. Well, while Dylan is <laughs> while Dylan is getting the rest of his life together, let me let me go ahead and jump in there. Um, I I definitely agree. I mean, you're you're definitely gonna have Charlie and Max one and two, and the fact that it, that it goes righty lefty is gonna be huge. Um, me personally, I I do go Wasker at uh, at three and Anderson at four. But I will say this: I think that the next couple of weeks are as important for Ian Anderson as they are for anybody on this team. Because for somebody like Ian, I've said it a bunch of times on the show and in person, if Ian Anderson could figure out how to pitch in the first inning, he would be a Hall of Famer. Every game, he comes out and he struggles in the first inning. And the other day, when the start against Miami, he got two outs on five pitches, and I was like, oh my god, he finally figured out how to do it. And then he threw 22 pitches to get that final out. And allowed two runs. So Max and Charlie have a spot. I And I can't imagine that Waskar does it either. I would be absolutely flabbergasted if anybody in the Braves organization is saying the same things about Waskar and Noah that a bunch of people on Twitter are saying about he can't start because he's proven that he can. So if you're Ian, the first two starts off the IL were... There's really no qualifier. They were just bad. And... 
no strikeouts in either. So seeing him go out and strike out nine and five innings the other day, that's like, okay, oh yeah, this guy's really good. I forgot about that. So if you continue to string those starts together, you don't have to have to strike out you know, nine guys and five every time, but at least as long as you're show, showing some swing and miss, then you feel much more comfortable using him as a four. And because you're going to have less starters, you know, even if you've got just one less starter, that's one more bullpen arm. And so then you start looking at guys like Muller, Tukey, guys that can go multiple innings, but it's not just anybody that they can go multiple innings, right? So Jesse Chavez can go multiple innings, but he hasn't been good for a while. He had real Anthony Swarzak vibes from a couple years ago. It was great when he got here and then gradually fell apart. Josh Tomlin, I think, is done. Drew Smiley, I don't even think is going to be on the playoff roster. So That would be interesting, by the way. As Thank you for taking over for me. As uh, as want to do, we, we talked a little bit too long today, as you guys uh, – Maybe maybe Doc cut this out of the episode, but my wife did come home in the middle of us recording, so I had to jump up. Oh, I'm, I'm leaving this whole thing in. This whole thing's in. That was uh, ama- I didn't know what happened, but I could tell it was. Oh bad. man, you should have seen how fast I jumped out of this chair to go grab the dog before running out the running out the garage door there. But uh, I I was <laughs> listening to you, and I, I I agree. I think if Ian comes out there and he does what we've seen him be capable of doing, then I think that that you're in a perfect position for the Braves. I think that. Being able to say, well, you know, we're only going to roll with three because we have off days and we want to make sure that we have guys who can come in late. And you're right about a lot of the other guys in the pen. Tomlin is done. Chavez is probably turned back into a pumpkin by this point. I think Smiley will probably be on the roster, but I think he'll be I think he'll be in the Tomlin role. He'll be in the, oh, crap, something bad happened. Here we go. Uh, but you talk about Tukey's going to move to the bullpen too. So there, there's going to be – I think that the Braves are going to have a very, very – deep pitching setup for the postseason. Now, I don't know that I would say they're going to have the best pitching setup, obviously, because you're going to have, you know, the Dodgers who can throw out Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller and any combination thereof. You're going to have a few other uh, rotations out there that are pretty just insane. But the Braves are going to be one that can definitely compete with anybody. Uh, and you'll feel a lot better about the bullpen knowing that you can really just start solidifying to using your best guys. This is one of those you and I talk about piggybacks all the time. We have for the three years that we've been running this show. Uh, again, I'm going to say that piggybacking in this postseason could be something very, very good. If you have one of these younger starters, Waskar, Ian, uh, and they don't look like they've necessarily got it, even if they're pitching kind of well, you don't have to be that worried about pulling them and putting somebody else in because you're going to have uh, a Tukey available or, or an Ian available if you decide to, to use him and you need a win that day or Waskar, however it shakes out, Kyle Muller as well. You're going to have a lot of these guys that you're going to be able to kind of swap in and swap out. So, uh, I think the Braves in this postseason are, are looking very well for the bullpen. I don't think that you're going to see – I think you'll see Kyle Muller get brought up and put back on it, but that's that's really the only addition I think you'll see. Maybe Kyle Wright, too. Maybe. If you look at replacing – if you if you replace – if you replace Tomlin, because, I mean, he's already been replaced, but he's not coming back. If you replace Chavez, uh, I think Chavez and Muller will, will be the swap out there. I think you could play around with it. I think you could see – I don't know if they would trust Muller or trust Kyle Wright in that situation, but he certainly pitched well enough at Gwinnett to where I'd feel more comfortable just based on what we've seen from Gwinnett or just from talking about somebody earning the privilege. 
I think I think you could certainly make a case for Kyle, right? The Braves are going to have some tough decisions on their hands for their playoff roster, and that's kind of all you can ask for. It's far cry from what we've been at in years past where you're trying to figure out, okay, who's the guy that we can add? Is he really going to add anything, or is he just putting a guy in here for the sake of putting a guy on here? Now you're going to have to actually make tough decisions, so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, two more questions before we end the show today from uh, Brian Kreutz, or Kreutz. Uh, if you were AA and handing out extensions, what would your deals, years plus money, for Freeman, Freed, Swanson, and Riley be? Um, Freddie, I don't – it's so hard to predict actual money that it's it's darn near impossible, so it's really just for funsies. Uh, for Freddie, I'm going to say five years and – I think I'm going to say five years and $130 million. Um, I think that Freddie has shown that he's still Freddie Freeman, started off super slow this year. Uh, he's struggled, scuffled a little bit lately, but he's Freddie Freeman. He is the he is the franchise. The Braves are gonna have money to deal this year, uh, and I think I actually think Freddie might be one of the last big deals they get done because I've kind of had this theory in my head that Alex is gonna bring everybody else back and leave Freddie for last. We talked about it last week, knowing that Liberty's not gonna let Freddie walk. So I think five and one thirty, maybe six and one thirty, uh, somewhere around that range for Freddie Freeman. Uh, Freed, I think it would probably be a good idea for them to extend Freed. I don't know that they're going to want to do all of those extensions in one off season. Um, I think, I think Austin, they're going to let ride one more year before extending unless, unless he's willing to take one of those Acuna deals, one of those Acuna Aussie deals where he just, where they just buy out his arbitration early. Um, I don't know if Austin's going to go that route. He might, he seems like the kind of dude that might do that. Uh, Dansby, I'm still not sure about Dansby has been, let me say this first, has been very, very good this year as far as now. He's gone back to kind of being his his normal self where he's been crazy. He's had tons of ups and downs. It's just been kind of crazy how high the ups have been and how low the lows have been. Uh, he's kind of in a down stretch now. Um, hopefully he hopefully he times it right to get him that hot stretch right before the playoff start. You could see them back. I think if the Bra- if he's willing to go for like eight, eight to 10 million a year. I think that's possible. I don't know what they'll do. There's a lot of shortstops in the market this year. So that one's definitely going to be kind of trickier. Um, I, they'll definitely talk to him about it. Let me say that. I'm sure they will broach the subject with him. I'm just not quite certain what it would cost for Dansby to get that extension. I don't know if he's going to be thinking that he's more in the 15 to 18 a million a year or a million a year range. If he's in that range, I don't think you see him come back. If it's like 13 ish, which I still think is a little bit of a stretch, but if you say like, 9 to 13, I think he gets extended. But if you're saying that he wants to go 15 or above, I think that might be a point where maybe they take a crack at some of the other shortstops first. So I'm going to work backwards here in, in tandem for, you know, we, we did get that question from Brian. We also had the one from a uh, longtime listener, uh, TPS loyalist Jacob Suttles, who tweeted, uh, what do the Braves do with Dansby while stirring the pot? Uh, much like, much like Dren. Uh, sitting atop his unicycle. So with Dansby, you know, man, I a couple weeks ago when we were we had the trade deadline episode, I was like, you know what? I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't stand the inconsistency, right? But the, the thing about it is with guys like Dansby and guys like Justin Upton and, and Riley and guys that are these notoriously streaky, I'm going to drag your offense down for two weeks and then I'm going to carry the entire team for a month type things is that at the end of the season, no matter how frustrating it is while it's happening, at the end of the season, listen, this is not an elite-level slash line, okay? But 252, 311, 464, with 26 home runs, 80 RBI, and playing... 
pretty stellar defense. Like, just unbelievably sound day-to-day defense and still making some spectacular plays. You tell me that the Braves just locked that guy up for five years and $70 million. That's too much. But you get excited about a player like that. You get excited about slash lines like that, you know? And for somebody who does the little things well, yeah, he's going to struggle. And the strikeout rate is always going to be probably a little higher than it should be. And he's not going to steal as many bases as you want him to. But you know what? Dansby Swanson is a damn good shortstop. And I I think that even if, if he starts asking for your threshold is $13 million, so we'll just use that as a number. If he starts asking for that, then I think that they try and extend him anyway just on like a shorter deal I don't because if he's asking for 13 million now those deals tend to be backloaded so he would be asking like 13 million on the front and then like 20 on the back per year so if they can do something where it's to underpay him this year to actually backload something where the financial obligation would not be quite as much but it would still wind up coming equal I think you could see something like that for him um if you told me the Braves tomorrow signed Dansby for five years and $58 million, I would be happy about that. I think that. if you say like five and 60, I think that that's, that's right there in the crux yeah. of the matter there. It kind of depends on the years. I don't know if he's going to want a five-year deal. He might want like a seven-year deal, um, which obviously complicates a little bit. But if you say seven and 70 or 70 and 85, then, you know, I can make a case for that. And I think that that's something that they'll kind of broach on the subject with. They don't really have, for all intents and purposes, unless Vaughn Grissom stays at short, which is not, not something I'm, I'm expecting, they really don't have anybody in the system right now that you can be like, oh, yeah, he'll just replace Dansby and everything will be fine and dandy. They don't really have anybody that they can do that with right now. So uh, I think he's in a pretty good position unless they go out there and they just decide to add one of these shortstops. I mentioned Marcus Semyon. It's, it's, it's not a great year if you're a free agent shortstop. It's a great year if you're a prime free agent shortstop, but it's not a great – it's really not a great offseason if you're, if you're a shortstop at all. If you're talking about Seager, Correa, Semyon, Story – uh, I guess technically Javi Baez, although I still expect him to stay in New York. Um, there, there, there's a quite a few names out there that are very, very good. Um, so I, I honestly, I think if you're talking about trying to, to get Dansby to, to extend for less than he could probably get on the open market, because somebody would probably pay him $16 million a year. I would bet you, I oh, bet sure. you somebody would pay him 16, 17 a year. So if you're able to, if he wants to stay in Atlanta, uh, and he's willing to, to cut that to about 13, 12 or 13, then I think you see it done. And also, if if you're Dansby and you know you're going to be a free agent next year, you're looking at Correa, Story, Seager, and saying, these guys, it, it, the market varies year over year, right? But if they're that's three guys and they're going to be competing for very big paydays, that could bode well for Dansby. And even if the team wanted to extend him, he might not accept. His entire brand is based around Atlanta. But I also get the feeling he would turn his back on Atlanta if somebody offered him $100 million. And I love Atlanta, <laughs> but yeah, I would I was about too. Yeah, I say, it's kind of hard to say no to that. Um, but I think right. you can see that. So, we went and, kind of far afield. I'm, I'm seeming like a Dansby Swanson fan here. A Stansby. And, <laughs> well, I know, I know that we, uh, like I said, I was leaving in that, that segment where it um, sounded like a, a giant crater opened up underneath your house and I still don't exactly know what happened but uh in the instance of of tying this episode up because we are running out of time I agree with you about uh Austin Riley uh waiting another year what he's done this year has been incredible but he also had like 0.1 career war coming into this season so want to pump the brakes a little bit I think it's more I think it's more just the amount of money in one off season personally I think they'd love to extend Austin and I I do think they'll approach him 
about one of those kind of super quick extensions, just like Friday or just like Ozzy and just like Ronald. I don't know if Austin would take that. If he does, I mean, Austin kind of seems like that understated guy. It could happen, but I think he would probably be the last person on this list that would be. I think he would be my. I think he'd be. If we're talking about ranking these one through four of possibilities, I think Riley getting extended is number four. I think so too, and I think that Freed would be three. Actually, I feel like Freed and Riley might be three A and three B, and I I've been very very clear about my love for Max Freed over the past couple of years, but I also, when they were handing out extensions for Acuna and Albies, I wanted the Braves to give one to Mike Fultonavich so <laughs> badly. So, you know, it pitchers are just different, man, and, you know, Max has, he has held up much better than I actually thought he would when we got it from San Diego. Um, but, you know, pitchers are different. Pitchers age differently. Pitchers have wear and tear differently. So, you know, even for as much as Max does well, I mean, I suppose now would be as good of a time to extend him as any just because he is, uh, if you're going to do it, just because he has shown the track record over the past couple years um, of somebody that, that really, really deserves it. And you have some time to do it, but I think that he's the least likely. And the most likely being Freddie Freeman, who for me, you know, the last deal he signed was eight years and $135 million. I would give him five years and $135 million yesterday. So, and, and maybe that's an overpay on the back end, but for somebody who's the franchise, I mean, Freddie Freeman has made millions, a billion dollars, billions of dollars for this franchise. So if you got to give somebody who's 38 and has horrible knees, if you got to give him $30 million on the back end of a contract because he propped your franchise up when you were winning 65 games a year, you do it. And not only that, but I'm not so certain it's that much of an overpay when you talk about the DH being in the National League. And as Freddie gets older and you don't want him running around at first base anymore, I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody whose who's batting style is going to age better than Freddie's. I mean, Freddie's has never been a batting style that's been predicated on just super super crazy bat speed or crazy pull-happy home runs. Freddie is a guy that can use all parts of the field. Now, he doesn't go opposite field as much as the TV broadcast would have you believe. There's a reason why people shift on him. Uh, but he does have that capability. He has that kind of classic inside-out swing that he employs a, a fair bit. Uh, so I think I think that that's a good call. I think even if you have to go over what you're comfortable for, you owe it to Freddie. Uh, Freddie wants to be here, and, and Freddie is Atlanta. That's, that's that's basically what it is. It's going to be Ronald Acuna's team. It is Freddie Freeman's team for now. Uh, and our last question was from our buddy Jacob Suttle, so I really just wanted to mention it on the show. But that was his question had to do with Dansby as well, so that tied in. We had enough of a Dansby talk there. I'm going to be sick. I'm going to have to go rinse my mouth out after all those platitudes for Dansby Swanson. Um, but, yeah. I think uh, I think that this could be a very eventful offseason. We'll kind of see how it goes. There's a lot of different ways the Braves could approach this. There's a lot of different players. There's a lot of high minor league depth right now that are going to be challenging for spots too. So it'll be interesting to see how the how all of those shape out. Uh, I, I still have no concerns. I know Freddie's going to be back. I have no concerns about that. I do think Max. When you bring up Max, that's a the thing about Max is I'm not quite sure how he like personality wise how he is because he's so quiet and so off the grid. He doesn't really speak. He doesn't really tweet or anything like that. He doesn't talk about the future or anything like that. He just kind of goes about and does his thing. He just goes out and pitches every five days. Uh, and, and I do believe he's a pretty strong leader for that, for that rotation on that team in general. But I don't know if he's a guy that would want to, to sign an extension early and, and leave money on the table. He's a very, very smart young man. Uh, he's a guy that you could see kind of play that game a little bit. He's a guy, somebody's going to break him off. 
And pitchers, particularly lefty starters that are top-end lefty starters like Max Freed is, that's a hard market to compete in. Everybody wants one of those. So as much as I love Max Freed, and don't disguise it, don't let the fact that I've been all Waskar Noah this year overshadow the fact that I am still the Max Freed guy. But Max is kind of the one guy out of this entire young pitching circuit that I would not be shocked if he gets priced out of what Atlanta is going to pay for him. It's yeah, I've had I've had that thought. Same as thing well. as the It'd Zach Wheeler. Same thing as the Zach Wheeler, only from the left hand side. Yeah, and and lefties, you know, you 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 see somebody like Patrick Corbin, whose whose track record was not nearly enough to get a hundred and forty four million dollar contract. Max Fried has a better track record than Patrick Corbin had. So if I'm Perry Manazian, ding ding ding. I'm, People always want to talk about Freddie's going to go play for the Angels. Freddie's from California. Max Freed, also from Southern California. He was going to go to UCLA. Hey, he, he might want to go play for the Angels, too. Nobody wants to talk you about that. You start telling me Everybody that is, I can go pitch with Shohei Otani on the same team as Mike Trout and whoever else the Braves don't sign back. That That's a very, very strong case right there for Max Freed. I think it's a stronger case for Max Freed going to L.A. than for Freddie. But I know we don't like to leave on a sour doom and gloom note, so the Braves are going to go out there and win tonight. What happened? What happened? We just spent the last 20 minutes, and you were praising Dansby Swanson and talking about Max Freed leaving in free agency. Whatever happened? The planets have misaligned, and the universe is ending. The yeah. simulation is coming to a halt already. We have been in the simulation. I'm breaking the matrix. I've red-pilled, uh, however you want to say it. Um, but, yeah, we've kind of reached that, that end portion of the show. I feel like the Braves are going to go out there and do very good against the Rockies, who are horrible away from Coors. I'm expecting a big-time series from the pitching staff. I'd like to see the pitching staff kind of string together five or six good innings in a row without having that bad first inning I think overall though I'm not too worried Braves are kind of getting right into the swing of things I want to see Freddie get hot again I want to see Austin start getting hot again I want to see Ozzy continue to get hot again and go into the postseason fully healthy I'd also one of the, the final thing for me today I want to see a lot of these guys start getting some rest start rotating guys in and out we saw Ozzy get a day off we saw Dansby get a day off I'd like to see you start giving guys days here and there to make sure they're as fresh as possible for the postseason same, same, same. You saw that the other day with with Dansby getting the getting the day off, and once the Braves were kind of in a unique position because if they were able to lock down the division, they're not playing for home field advantage. They already know who they're going to play. They don't have to worry if if once they clinch the division, they could just roll out backups. You know what I mean? So if the Braves make it into the playoffs, they will be playing the Brewers. So you need to be well rested. You and while you've got no, you only added one position player when you went into September, but he's versatile and can bounce around. You still have Adrianza. You know, you, you can do you can do a couple things there. So, yeah, I kind of want to see some guys get some rest too. But I I am longing for the days like an hour and 15 minutes ago where we said, man, we really don't have that much to talk about today. <laughs> right. Turns out we did have a lot more to talk about. Thank you to everybody, by the way, man. who sent in questions for the mailbag. We always love doing these episodes. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. It's a little bit of a long episode for us. Longest one we've done in quite a while. Uh, filled with fun and frivolity and sounding like the earth was shattering in my home here. So thank you guys for tuning in and sticking with us through it all. We'll be back again next week. I don't know what time, what day, but we will be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Platinum Sombrero.